Today's reading comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. It is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of God for the people of God. Grace and peace to you, beloved. Thanks, Amy, for reading the scripture this morning. You never have too many Amys in the room. I am Amy Wilson Feltz. I'm the pastor here at Morningstar, in case you haven't had a chance to meet me yet. I'm delighted to be with you this morning on this second Sunday in the season of Lent. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight this morning, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I became a parent, I was warned to prepare for the constant series of questions that would come from my children. We've talked about this recently and how I'm not really bothered by the why questions. It's important for children to be curious. We want them to ask questions. We want them to learn to think critically. It's the what-if questions that are harder for me. Sometimes they're simple, like what if we're late to the party and we miss the pinata? Sometimes they're more difficult, like what if you and daddy are no longer able to take care of us? I don't want to dismiss these questions from my children because fear is underlying these questions, and I don't want to dismiss their fear. Fear is a natural emotion, and we have to know how to deal with it. It's better if we can learn to deal with it at a young age. It's how we respond to fear that really matters, and our children need to be concerned about certain realities and dangers in the world, but we don't want them to worry. And we know that they will because we worry. Studies show that 60% of adults are preoccupied with worry in some area of life. And when we say worry, we're talking about a pervasive sense of unease. 
We're talking about anxiety as we dwell on a difficult or troubling situation. 60% of us are preoccupied with worry. It's a really alarming number, especially in light of the fact that only 8% of what we worry about usually comes to pass. That means that a majority of adults in our culture are spending an undue amount of emotional energy obsessing over things that will not happen 92% of the time. It does seem humorous, doesn't it, Chris? It's, it's, a, it's a little bit baffling. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have reason to worry. Of course, we have reason to worry. Bad things happen in life, and they happen to good people. We've all lived long enough to know this, and it honestly doesn't take that long in life to figure this out. I just spent most of the last week with our daughter, Natalie, as she underwent her fifth medical procedure in seven years, seven years of her life, because of something that happened to her when she was an infant before she was in our care. It was an accident, and it was not her fault, but she bears the scars and the residual pain. And just so you know, she gave me permission to share this with you. As adults in her life, we give her all of the compassion in the world as we try to help her acknowledge the pain and process the fear when those very important what-if questions surface. We do this fairly easily for children in our lives. But it's really important that we learn to do this for ourselves and for each other as well. Medical professionals tell us that the effects of worry on our bodies are quite serious. The list includes suppression of the immune system, digestive disorders, muscle tension, short-term memory loss, coronary artery disease, and heart attack. And those are just the physical effects. In other words, the effects of worry can be deadly when we are overloaded and when we are carrying too much. Now, this brings to mind the words of Jesus that we read last week. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. These words serve as the foundation of our five-week worship series, which we are calling Margin, creating space to breathe deeply. Today is the second Sunday in the season of Lent, that 40-day period of reflection, of meditation on our own mortality and on our dependence of God as we make our way to the cross and place our hope in the resurrection of Jesus. And we're focusing on breathing deeply because our very ability to inhale and exhale is a gift from our Creator and a reminder of how very precious this gift of life really is. Margin is what allows us to pay attention to our breath and make the most of it. And Jesus has something to say about margin in much of his teaching, including the famous Sermon on the Mount from which Amy read this morning. We're defining margin as the space between our load and our limits, and I borrowed this definition from a medical doctor named Richard A. Swinson. He's a follower of Jesus who has studied the effects of a lack of margin in his own life and in the lives of his patients. He literally wrote the book on margin. His name is Richard A. Swinson, if you're taking notes. In his study, Swinson identified four major areas of life in which margin is needed to sustain life in a healthy way. 
And those four areas are emotional, physical, temporal, and financial. Emotional, emotional, physical, temporal, and financial. It could appear that something is missing. What about the spiritual? Well, for Swinson and certainly for Jesus, there is no separate category for spiritual life. All of life is spiritual. Everything we do and everything we do not do has an effect on our spirituality. And if we are exercising margin in these four areas of life, we will be healthy spiritually. But that is certainly easier said than done in this age of progress and overload. In fact, it is much easier to worry than it is to develop good attitudes and habits to protect that space between our load and our limits. And even talking about this can feel overwhelming, so we're going to take it one step at a time, and today we are focusing on emotional margin. It just so happens that Jesus had something to say about worry. In short, don't do it. Don't worry about your life, he says in Matthew 6. Don't worry about your basic needs. We're already, this is problematic, right? Because we know people who are hungry. We know people who are struggling to put a roof over their heads. We know people who don't have adequate clothing. We know there is suffering in the world. So what do we do with all of that? What do we do with all of these realities and this promise that God is going to provide? Is it not okay for us to be concerned about these things for ourselves and others? Is it not okay for us to prepare for the future? These are fair questions. They are fair questions, but the issue here is not concern, and it's not preparation. The issue here is worry. It's the power of worry to steal us away from the present, to steal us away from the comfort and the security and our connection with God and with each other in the good times and the bad. Jesus tells us not to worry. He doesn't say that we shouldn't prepare to meet our own needs or the needs of others, he says, don't worry about it. He doesn't say that we won't have trouble. He simply says, don't borrow trouble from tomorrow. And he's talking about worry because he knows that 60% of us are preoccupied in some way or another with worry. What's more, he knows that the number one object of worry for adults, especially in America, is money. That's what this particular passage is about. It comes on the heels of a discussion earlier in the chapter about giving to those in need and about not storing up treasures on earth. And in applying this directive about worry to money and our basic human needs, Jesus is setting up this premise to apply it to every aspect of our lives. He's saying, don't even worry about the things that concern you the most because worry is not going to do a bit of good. And as a good rabbi, as a good teacher, Jesus follows up this prohibition on worry with a replacement action. Don't worry, he says. Instead, focus on the kingdom of God. Well, you can't say that Jesus is not consistent in his messaging. This is the first thing that he says right after his baptism and his temptation in the wilderness. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, repentance is something that we talked about last week. It means to change the way that we think, to change our minds, to change the way that we think. And this is possible primarily by first changing the way that we behave. 
changing our habits. So Jesus' call to repentance and the call of John the Baptist before him and the call of the Old Testament prophets before them is to change the way that we think about how the world works. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand as a wake-up call. It's an invitation to open our eyes and to open our minds to see how God is at work in the world and how we can participate in that work. The kingdom of God, in other words, is here. The kingdom of God is here. It's not some future or distant reality. It is here for those who would live into it now. But before we can talk too much about how to live into it, we must first consider what it is. The kingdom of God has been described historically as the reign or the rule of God. And this language was used in the time of Jesus, presumably because monarchy served as a socioeconomic system of the day. Kings and kingdoms, nobles and peasants, servants and slaves comprise the political system of the age. So when Jesus began preaching about the kingdom of God, he was making a political statement. Now, isn't it interesting? We have, we have come to believe that preachers should not say anything political from the pulpit. Jesus did it all the time. All the time. His people were oppressed living as second-class citizens under Roman rule, his pronouncement of the kingdom of God amounted to a proclamation of freedom from that oppression. You may live under Roman reign, he says, but God is your ruler and God is your king, and the rules work differently in the kingdom of God. It was a bold statement, especially supported by the countercultural teachings of Jesus that follow But sometimes the power of the message is lost on us because we don't live in a monarchy. When we hear these words, we're already at least one step removed, one step away from really being able to identify with them on the basis of our own experiences. Perhaps that's why some people of faith have opted to use words like kingdom instead for decades now. The notion is the same. God's work in this world brings about liberation, freedom from anything that is oppressing us. Yet the word kingdom is a bit more relatable for many because it points to the way that most of us experience that freedom, and that's through kinship, through relationship, through community. Kingdom can describe the results of God's reign, the kind of community that God desires, a spiritual family, a commitment to caring for one another and carrying each other's burdens. And we can see what this looks like in the teachings of Jesus as he turns the typical understanding of life and living upside down. For instance, we will be blessed, Jesus says, in times of poverty and grief, when we are humble and hungry to do what is just, when we show mercy and vulnerability, when we seek peace, even when people attack us for it. Jesus takes ancient interpretations of divine law and locates them in an understanding of loving God and loving neighbor. You have heard it said, he so often begins, but I say to you, work out your anger in healthy ways, because anger is just as deadly as murder. 
cheating others begins with dehumanizing thoughts. Commitments are not so easily broken even when you walk away. Don't make over-the-top promises that you cannot sustain. Skip retaliation. Give more than is asked of you. Walk with each other in difficult times. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Give earnestly and without making a big deal about it. Pray frequently for God's will to be done on on earth as it is in heaven. Reconsider your habits often so that you remember that you are dependent on God. Don't make money the driving force in your life. And that brings us for our message, to our message for today. Don't worry. Don't worry. All of this and more can be read in chapters 5 through 7 of the Gospel of Matthew. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He also includes 23 parables in Matthew alone. And parables are stories that use one thing to talk about another thing in a way that invites us to consider how what seems impossible can't actually be possible. Over and over again in these stories, these parables, Jesus says the kingdom of God is like something that we could see every day, but we miss because we're looking for something else, something bigger, something flashier, something more lucrative. The kingdom of God is a place where score is not kept, where resources are shared, where forgiveness and reconciliation are the standard. Beloved, it is these teachings that show us what it means to strive first for the kingdom or kingdom of God. In living in this way, righteousness will follow. Righteousness is another one of those churchy words. It means acting according to divine or moral law. It could also mean justifiability. When we are righteous, we are justified. And we use these terms to describe ourselves and validate our own positions and actions quite frequently. We feel righteous indignation about the way that we have been treated and then we justify our actions because we've been hurt. But here's some good news. Justification is actually the work of God. Justification is the work of God, and righteousness is a gift that cannot be earned. The striving is for us. It's for us to recognize that we need the work of God in our lives and that we want to participate in it. The striving is for us. Grace is a gift. And when we accept that gift, we acknowledge the capacity that we have been given to participate in the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. This is what it means for us to be divine image bearers. And the truth is, beloved, if we are really about this work in the world, if we're seeking to live in all of the ways that Jesus calls us to live, we don't have time to worry. It's a pretty long list in the Sermon on the Mount, and it's challenging. And if we're seeking to put it into practice, we don't have time to worry. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't be tempted to do so when we feel overwhelmed. It just means that we need to find some practices that will help us move from worry back to peace. 
this is one of the perks of living in the kingdom of God. As we said last week, we were never meant to carry our burdens alone. And this is something that Jason and I are trying to impress upon our children. We are in this together. We definitely felt that truth last week as we walked with Natalie through her procedure and continue to journey with her through her recovery and her long-term pain and grief. And you all played a really important part in that work too, especially last week as you prayed for us and encouraged us as you called us and sent us text messages as you brought us food, as you reminded us that 92% of what causes us to worry never comes to pass. And the other 8% we will carry together as you invited us to breathe deeply. Beloved, when we create the space to breathe deeply, when we claim that space between our load and our limits, we are living into the kingdom of God. And that's what we are doing with these notebooks. Does everyone have one? It's okay if you didn't bring yours back. You can always get another one. We have plenty. I would like you to take those out now. I'm not going to ask you to read from them. It's okay. But if you don't have one and you'd like one, raise your hand. We also have the stickers. We have the pens. And if you at home would like these as well, just make a note. Send us a message, and we'll make sure that you receive them. Last week, we asked ourselves to be honest about the areas in our lives in which we need margin. And I'm guessing that for many of us, our emotional burdens made that list in some way or another. This week, we have another question to add to the list. So last week, we asked, in what areas of life could I use some margin? This week, we are asking, when do I find myself borrowing trouble? So I invite you to take your notebook and go ahead and... Write that question down right now if you would, and I'll join you. When do I find myself borrowing trouble? When do I find myself borrowing trouble? Again, judgment is not permitted. In this practice of taking note, not even judgment on yourself. This is a practice of mindfulness, which means there are no answers. There are no strategies, not yet. Right now, we are simply making observations and we're staying curious about the opportunities to change the way that we think. But if you are like me and you like to do something and you're clamoring for something to do in this process, I would encourage you to read Matthew 5 through 7 every day in the season of Lent. And you can write that down too. Matthew 5 through 7. That's the Sermon on the Mount. Read it every day. There is no clearer picture of the kingdom of God than in these words of Jesus. They were countercultural when he said them, and they are countercultural now. It is only in such an upside-down place that peace could be more powerful than worry. Amen? Amen. We have come to the time in our service when we share our concerns with God and our joys with God, and I hope that you are receiving our prayer email. 
which is shared at least once a week. It gives you a chance to join with the community in prayer. We're also mindful of the things that are going on in the world. We continue to pray for the situation in Ukraine. We pray for the refugees there. We pray for the leaders. We pray for a peaceful resolution to the violence soon, immediately. We're also mindful of things that are going on in our local community. We pray for our city council. The city council members will be meeting next week, so we pray for wisdom and guidance there as well. And we know when we go to God, God hears our prayer, whether we have shared those thoughts or not. So I invite you to take a deep breath and let us pray. Holy God, we come before you in prayer, lifting to you the joys and concerns, the hopes and dreams of our lives. May we also be open to your voice in our lives that we may see with new eyes and hear with new ears the direction that you would have us go. Bless, we pray, this gathering of your people. Whether we are here in this room or worshiping at home or not able to participate this morning. Bless us that we may grow and flourish in your love and grace for the purpose to which you have called us. Hear our prayers for those whose lives have touched us, those who are in pain, those who are ill, those who grieve. May we touch their lives not only through our prayers, but through our lives and actions as well. Guide us, bless us, uplift us, and hold us. For we are your children called to your purpose in this world. Hear our prayers, those spoken and those hidden in our hearts. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus the Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.